God is good. Amen. Hey, let me just uh, tag on after we have moments like that in prayer and worship and all that kind of stuff. Pray for healing. Uh, if you haven't already or you missed part of it, uh, the first three, four weeks of the, the, this year, 2018, we did a series called Shalom, Shalom, Wholeness. And the inter interconnectivity, the interrelationship between spirit, soul, and body. Because sometimes things are going on in our body because of things that are happening in our soul realm and, and vice versa. And so I'd encourage you, if you haven't heard that before, I'm not trying to, to say I'm just amazing. But that sermon series is powerful because it's the word of God. And so, um, you know, I've, I've had experience in this myself in terms of healing. Uh, a number of years ago, it's been probably almost 15 years ago now, um, I had a period of time where I did not sleep for about uh, five days in a row, and I couldn't figure out why, and uh, I eventually I'd, I was praying, and I felt like the Lord said, give up coffee, because at that time I was drinking one to two pots a day, and I couldn't figure out why I wouldn't sleep, but anyway... Led to, some other, led to some other things, and uh, I had a migraine where I was down uh, in a room with, and if you've ever had a migraine, you know what I'm talking about, uh, close the curtains, nobody come for like a week, and I was down, never had one before in my life. And uh, so went through a series of tests, and at that time found a, a, a venal malformation in my brain, uh, which is about right, was about right there. And uh, he said, well, we can crack your melon. Well, he didn't say it like that. That's... When I'm from the cusp, that's how I interpreted it. Uh, he said, we can do surgery on it or you can leave it. Um, we're not sure. It should be fine. But, uh, and and, I, and uh, my, my wife, who's just a very timid little lady, uh, <laughs> said, we're not going to stand for that. And, and she said, we're going to pray that God will heal you. And uh, you're going to be done with this, not deal with this for the rest of your life, worrying about it. So uh, we just began to do that. We just said, Lord, thank you for your healing power. And... Uh, at that moment, uh, everything felt good, and I felt fine, and I, I went, went away. And about two weeks later, I was driving down the road, and suddenly I felt the symptoms of what I had been feeling at various times right in my brain. I could tell, I told the neurosurgeon where I thought the problem was. And in that moment, I had a choice to make in that moment. I'm going to receive that and, and just take it back. And you can do whatever you want with this and tell me I'm crazy. I don't care. It's my story. Uh, I, I, uh, I just said, you know... Symptoms go in the name of Jesus. I'm not receiving you. I'm well and I'm healed in the name of Jesus. And, and the symptoms just stopped like that. And I have never felt them back again. And I believe that God's totally healed me. And I, I, I'm not going to live my life waiting for a stroke. I'm just going to move on and serve God with all my heart and try and do something good for him and see what happened, right? So when, all I'm doing to say all that, if you were listening, you could have picked that up, that when you walk out and you can feel something happen in a moment like this where you're in absolute, uh, immersed in the presence of God, and then you step out of the doors and you start driving and the enemy says, you weren't touched, you weren't healed, you just right away begin to war through the weapon of the word, know what the word of God says about you. Read Isaiah 53 that talks about by his stripes we are healed, we receive healing, we don't earn it, we don't try and get it somehow, but Jesus is just good, all right? All right, that's all for free. We're going to start preaching now. All right, so just be praying as well. Uh, uh, Paul Johnson and Eleanor are away this week, and they will be uh, in Nigeria. Uh, Pastor Stephen Becky have been in Central Asia and will uh, be traveling there to Africa as well. So be praying for them and that God will continue to use them in a powerful way. Uh, I have a Bible here. It's just, it's well used. But um, 
We're on the last week of our series called Big Church, and uh, this is not because we are a big church. It's because we believe that the church is a big, big idea in the heart of God, that it has always been a big idea in the heart of God. It's part of God's great plan to change you, to change your family, to change the world, and uh, I really think that it's the best thing going in the world. It's our hope for our city. It's a hope. Somebody's going to help me. It's a hope for, for my life. It's a hope for your life, your family, for the future of our nation. It's found not in the government house. It's not found in the courthouse. It's not found in any other house, but in the house of God, in the people of God, the church. And so when we said this, that we when Jesus, la Jesus launched the church, he said, I will build my church. And in one translation said it was so it's so expansive with energy that nothing will hold it back. It's just this pulsating force of God's power moving in the world. And, and when he launched that, it, he didn't launch an institution. He didn't launch a building. He launched a movement, a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational move of people that he, he had put his hand on to change the world. He said that I'm going to go and I'm asking you to go now as the church. And so when we're talking about the church, it started, and we, I'm going to give you a quick review. Uh, it started in Acts chapter uh, 1 and 2, where it talks about where the church began. And it, it was this group of 120 people waiting in a room, and suddenly the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and, and they come out of that room empowered, and they say, you know that Jesus that just a number of weeks ago you crucified, which we'll be talking about next week? He said, that Jesus is, uh, not only did you crucify him, but now he has been buried, and he rose again. And he's risen, and not, it's not a story we've heard. It's somebody we've seen. It's an experience that we've had. And through that, they began to just tell other people about the glorious goodness of Jesus. And it didn't stop there because 3,000 people in one day gave their life to Jesus. And, and, a, and another, just a short time later, another 5,000. So in a very short amount of time, they estimate that almost 10% of the population in the city of Jerusalem came to know Jesus. And so things were moving and happening, and, but they didn't stay there. Suddenly it started to move. Persecution started to come because when 10% when 10 of your city starts moving in a direction that's different than everybody else, sometimes it shakes some people that have been used to having all the power, that have been used to uh, keeping people under their thumb, and suddenly there's the power of the Holy Spirit moving over 10% of the city. Think about it. 50,000 people in Surrey all of a sudden are saying, the best thing about life is serving God and, and seeing God move in our life. Why? I think it would shift the city a little bit. People that are in City Hall would begin to hear about that something is happening in the city and it's moving and things are changing. And so they began to be uh, experienced persecution. In fact, one guy by the name of Saul, he began to be uh, sent out on assignment to persecute the church. In fact, he would drag people back and throw them in jail and sometimes kill them. But Saul had an encounter with Jesus where Jesus came and uh, encountered his life and, and began to touch him and began to change him. And, and he went from being the greatest persecutor of the church to being the greatest proponent of the church. He went from speaking against it to being the greatest spokesman of the church. And so he began to move out into all of the known world at that time in the Mediterranean out of Jerusalem and went into all kinds of cities and began to plant churches in all different places because that's the way that the kingdom of God advances, planting movements of people in all kinds of places do it with all kinds of people, reaching all kinds of people because that's God's mandate and method is the church. And, and so as Paul began to step into that, we, we find him in this place and in 
invite you to turn to Acts chapter 17. Uh, and Paul had just come out of a place where he had been, as he often did, wherever Paul went, it seemed like there was either a revival where people turned to God or there was a riot where they tried to kill Paul. And so he had been through this experience and, and they heard that more was going to come and so they sent him uh, to Athens. And this is where we pick up the story in Acts 17 around verse 16. And, and they sent him and said, wait here in Athens for me. And so he was waiting. And while he was waiting, he wandered around the city, and it says that he was distressed by that there was idols everywhere, idols, idols, idols. And you need to understand that in that time, uh, the Greek uh, and the Roman mythology together, the Greek uh, Olympian gods, there's about 12 of them, main gods, and then almost without number, other gods under those, sub-gods, that you will. And so every one of them had their own little statue and their own little thing they had that people... Uh, uh, put incense to, sacrifice food to, sacrifice people to, all kinds of stuff that went on there. And it literally distressed Paul. Now, he was sitting there, and it distressed him a lot. And we're going to pick up the story, and it's right there, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your life and your love and what you're doing in our hearts and through your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to talk today a little bit about a big opportunity. You know, when opportunities come, you don't always recognize them as opportunities. Sometimes you think that they're a delay. Sometimes you think that it's a, a something that has come against you, but oftentimes things disguised as a problem are an opportunity, an opportunity for you and for God. See, when I was like nine, uh, 18 years old, uh, I had zits like, yeah, I, had, I was the poster child for like, here's the skin cream that you need to fix it. I had that. I had braces. I had uh, a, the, a great mustache that was terrible. I thought it was amazing. In the eight, late 80s, uh, this little wispy thing had a space about that big in it, but I thought it was cool. And uh, I, I was here, and I was hanging around with a group of people, uh, and a couple, one of them happened to be who is now my wife, but there was guys and girls, and we were hanging out. We did all kinds of things, went bowling and went to the beach, and did all, just a group of people hanging out. And I can remember one Sunday, uh, when the stage used to be in that corner, I saw Shanda, and I saw her in a different light. Wow. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I've never seen her like that before. There's some potential right there. For my future, it could look better in God. And so I saw an incredible opportunity in front of me. But I also had a great obstacle. I knew what I looked like. <laughs> and that's where I began to pray, oh God, blind her eyes to see. <laughs> Some of you guys are doing, you did the same thing, because I've seen your wife and I've seen you. Somebody <laughs> blinded somebody. It's true. It's true. You know it is. You just thank God for his goodness and grace. So anyway, I thought, I got to take advantage of this opportunity. I'm spending time with her and so many, but I'm always in a group with her. So I had this great idea. I said, I'm going to ask her to a movie. So I asked her to a movie. I said, hey, I've worked up my courage for about a week. Lord, after I'm praying, Lord, blind her eyes. I said, can you, would you like to go to a movie with me? She said, ah, that sounds great. I was like, whoa, that was easy. And then she goes and says, and I'll ask this person, and I'll ask that person, and I'll ask this person. And I'm like, something is wrong here. 
I'm trying to go on a date with her. She's not even aware of it. So I just said, that's all right. And I went around behind her. I said to the person, you are not coming. You're not coming. You're not coming. You're not coming. Stay away. You can give me money, but you're not coming. Because I saw an opportunity to change my life. And there was an obstacle of people in front of me who wasn't going to stop me. And so I came to her door that day with my car, my little white Suzuki Swift. I drove in and come to the door, and her stepdad, Jeff, is like, who are you? What are you doing here? And I'm saying, oh, I'm taking Shannon to a movie. Uh, and, she, and Shannon's like, pushes by. Oh, hey. And then she gets in the car. Where is everybody? I'm like, I don't know. They just all couldn't come. And so sometimes you need to get creative with an obstacle to turn it into an opportunity. Because let me tell you, that changed my life. Where was I? Am I preaching? What am I doing here? Okay, we'll, we'll come back to that. So while Paul was waiting, waiting, Sometimes in life, you need to wait. And I thought, wow, what kind of opportunities are in waiting that we miss? Because sometimes when you're waiting, all you can think about is what you're waiting for. He says that Paul was waiting for them. And in the moment of waiting, he was sitting there waiting for them. And I thought, how many of us are waiting We spend all kinds of time waiting at a stoplight for that person to get off their phone so I can move. Waiting for a woman. Some of you are not sure what I'm doing there as I leave it. Waiting on a promotion. Waiting on a financial breakthrough. Waiting on something to be restored in our life. And sometimes in moments of waiting, we forget that God is not waiting. God can still move in your waiting. God can still move in moments where you think nothing's happening and God wants to speak into moments of waiting in your life, waiting for your healing, waiting for a breakthrough, waiting for something to change, that in moments like that, God can still move. And sometimes we've limited God to, if if something's not happening the way that I think it should happen, that you're not moving. But it says, and this is all just something we picked up right here. While Paul was waiting, God is not intimidated by your waiting. God is not worried while he's making you wait. God is not stressed out by making you wait. Because God is working when it doesn't seem like he's working. Even when he's not working, he's actually working. In the waiting, don't miss what God wants to do in your waiting because you're so focused on the future that you miss what God wants to do in your present. That's all for free. We're just going on now. Now, idols everywhere, and it was bothering Paul. Do you know that many homes in our city do actually have idols? You think, well, there was a day in Canada where that was not that common, but it's way more common than it is. is We've had people come from all over the globe, and we're grateful for them. We're grateful for people coming from every corner of the globe, and many of you are first-generation Canadians. It's fantastic. And there's homes that have idols where they burn incense and sacrifice food to and idols that people are afraid of. But many others, and maybe you, have idols that maybe are not made of gold and silver and stone but have a different kind of an idol. Maybe it's an idol of isolation. Maybe it's an idol of an eating disorder. Maybe it's an idol of alcohol. Maybe it's an idol of pornography. Maybe it's an idol of control of people and situations. Maybe it's an idol of money and work and selfishness. 
idols of success, of what it should look like. See, an idol is simply my attempt to cope with my world, the brokenness of my world. It's simply my attempt to make my life make sense in some way. And so I set something up and say, I'm going to follow that and try to find the security I'm looking for, trying to find the meaning that I'm looking for. And so there's all kinds of things. In this moment, Paul was actually talking about physical idols, but there's much, much more than that. You see, we, we come to certain things and we build them and we say, if work, uh, we have an idol of work where we, we believe it will promise us security and all it ends up giving us is not just security, but lots of anxiety. We have things where we set up fear and fear promises to keep you safe and all it does is make you lonely. Pornography promises you an escape but ends up giving you a bondage. Control promises you protection but it gives you isolation. See, it might not be a rock or a tree or some silver or some gold, but I think many of us and many in our city have an idol that they're looking to and something that's trying to give them answers, something to try and make some sense of life, and they're not finding what they're looking for, and they try something else and try something else and try something else, and there is no answer in the middle of it, but they're doing something to try and cope. But you see what Paul did as a Christ follower. He wasn't just okay to be waiting and doing nothing. But it says that he, while he was waiting for them, he was distressed. It bothered him a lot. It provoked him. It made him upset about what was happening. And I wonder, are we distressed at what happens in our city? Or are we so focused on what I'm waiting in and, and the good things that I have in my life that I've lost my ability to have a vision for what's beyond me for people who are struggling with issues that I might not be struggling with but are walking through pain and walking through difficulty and looking to an idol that's not answering their need, that's not helping their life. And we have this answer, if you're a Christ follower, that is more than a rock, it's more than a, a stone, it's more than some brick or some work or something like that, but it's the power of Jesus. And Paul says, I wondered, are we still distressed at broken families? Are we distressed in our city that three to four people die every day because of the opioid crisis in our city, the drug addiction from three to four people a day? Are we distressed in our nation that 300 plus children a day are aborted? Are we still distressed today that people are facing eternity without Jesus? Have we lost the vision to see what others are experiencing and walking through? Are we distressed today that people in this city believe that a rock or a tree or some form or figure is the answer for their life? Are we distressed at the fact that there are people in our city, in our neighborhood, in our family, that face an eternity without Jesus. See, Paul shows us his incredible response to the brokenness of his culture. He didn't ridicule it. He didn't petition the government to outlaw the idols. He didn't take a selfie with an idol and put an angry emoji and say, a pox on Athens. 
He didn't see an obstacle to the gospel either. He saw an incredible opportunity for the power of the gospel in a place where people were searching for answers, were putting up all kinds of idols and looking to see, will this make sense? Will this bring hope to my life? Will this restore my family? Will this set me apart? Will this answer the confusion? Will this begin to bring order to my life? Will this answer the fear that I feel? Will this help me to sleep at night? All these kind of things. He was distressed by it. And he said, I'm going to do something about it. He saw this incredible opportunity. And he connected to their story. Says He says, I see. Acts 17. He says, uh, he said, I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknowing God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship, and that's what I'm going to proclaim to you today. And then he begins to talk to them about the goodness of God and how God created the world, and, and, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And then the next one, and then he says that God did all this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Somebody say, not far. Not far. He's not far from any one of us. He says, I know that you've looked to your own hands to solve your issues. Even though there's all these gods and all these things, he would say to them, in spite of what you've always believed, the one, the true living God, he has done something unique in your midst. He's done something that nobody else has ever done, that Zeus couldn't answer. He's done something that, that uh, Jupiter couldn't address. And the creator of the universe is not far from you. And I think that sometimes in our world that we think that people are far from God. They may think that they're far from God, but God is not far from them. He's not far from you in your pain. The Bible says that God is close to the brokenhearted. He's not far from people in confusion and frustration. He's not far from people who are searching for meaning. He's not far from people who are wandering. He's not far from people who are walking through a storm right now. He's not far from people who are wondering, does anybody see me or know me? He's not far from people who are walking through loss. He's not far from people who are going through life and wondering, there's got to be more because we might be far from them, but God God is not far from them. God has seen them, has always known them, and is calling them by name. He's not far. He's not far. I might feel far from him sometimes, and maybe you feel far from him today, but you might think, I'm God, I'm way over here from you, and God's like, I'm right here. He's not far from you. He's not far. He is not far from any one of us. He's not far from the LGBTQ community. He is not far from a person that's struggling with allegations. He's not far from a person who's struggling in their marriage. He's not far from somebody who doesn't know which way to turn. He is not far. And he... And he says to them, you might be searching in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of places to try and answer a need in your heart. But God has sent his son into the world to address your sin. God has sent Jesus to address your brokenness. God has sent Jesus to address the penalty for your sin that you've been experiencing. And he's come to set you free. Jesus 
died, buried, and rose again to do what none, none of this rocks could do, none of this work could do, none of this success could do, none of this anxiety could do, none of this fear could do, none of this uh, brokenness could do, none of it could do, but Jesus, who is not far from you, is doing something. And then I love what it says in verse 32, because sometimes we think, well, it's amazing. I would have said yes. Verse 32 says that some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And some of the people even believed. And we have to be okay with that. In the midst of an opportunity, as we do what God's called us to do, some people are going to sneer and say, you're crazy. That's all right. Wouldn't be the first time. And some will get a little softer and take a step towards Jesus. What a win. I want to hear more about that because they're thinking about it and God's drawing them by their heart. And others in a moment will say, this is what I've been looking for and I'm going to turn to Jesus because his power is more than this stone. His power is more than my ability. His power is more than my work. His power is amazing. And if he's not far from me, I want to come to know him in a real and a personal way. He is not far from any one of us. And so the church began. We are responsible for obedience, but Jesus is responsible for outcome. So when there's an opportunity in front of you and Jesus says, come on, your responsibility is not to decide, well, I'll do it if. Your responsibility is, yes, sir. We get to join with Jesus in the great plan of God, the church, to change the world. I want to move and follow Jesus with my heart, not just because I have to obey him. Because I get to. I get to see God move in people's hearts where people get to hear the gospel and some of them will sneer and some of them will soften and some of them will surrender. What a powerful day. What a great day. And as the Gentiles began to embrace this Jewish sect, which was called the way, which became to be called Christianity, which we now know as the church, things began to happen. And when the church lived boldly like Paul was living boldly, when they saw the opportunities in front of them, not just the obstacles and the difficulties and the, the, the pain of society, the brokenness, but saw the opportunities, incredible things happen and have happened all throughout history in the name of Jesus because it hasn't mattered who was in power. It hasn't mattered whether the laws were uh, conducive to Christianity. It hasn't mattered because the church is an unstoppable movement, a multi-generational, multicultural, multi-ethnic movement of people who are saying, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to serve him and I'm going to do what he's called me to do and my life's going to look different. Not only does he have the answer for eternity, he has the answer for a better life. And at that moment, the church would begin to move over, and it moved throughout the Roman world and all throughout Europe, and it begins to all over the globe and all throughout history. As time went on, though, there were times and places where it was less than stellar days for the church. In the Middle Ages, when we saw the Crusades done in the name of Jesus, and we saw the Spanish Inquisition, where if you weren't just right, the church would haul you in and torture you and, and kill you and boil you in oil and all kinds of crazy things in the name of the church. And some tragic things happened as part of the church. Leadership went crazy in many ways. And some theology that went really bad where if you were really rich, you could buy some indulgences, buy, buy these little tokens almost, buy your way into heaven, light a candle, some incense, and give us some money, and we're going to guarantee you a spot in heaven, perverting the name of Jesus. And some, there were some very, very dark days 
in the church. And even in our own nation, the residential schools of First Nations that had brought, and I've talked to many First Nations people who have been hurt and hurt and hurt, not just in one generation, but multi-generational effects. And we're, we're praying for that God will restore. And whether we did it ourselves or we were a part of that, we, we believe that God can restore. But because of all these terrible things that happened, there's still always been a remnant of people that got it. There have always been a group of people that said, I understand it. There's always been a group of people that said, this is a mission. There has always been a group of people who said, this is a movement of making the world a better place through the power of the name of Jesus, the risen Savior. It's not about a building. It's not about a controlling power structure. It's not about some liturgy. It's not about whether you have everything figured out. It's about a movement of people who have gathered around the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus that still sets captives free, the name of Jesus that still helps people, the name of Jesus that still restores families, the name of Jesus that still changes cities, the name of Jesus that still empowers, the name of Jesus that still heals, the name of Jesus that still moves situation. The name of Jesus that still restores marriage. Somebody say amen. Come on. If you've, if you've ever experienced the power of the name of Jesus, just wave at me. Come on. Yeah, you experienced the power of the name of Jesus. We cannot forget what we're about. At the core, the church is best when we remember this simple idea that transformed Jerusalem, that's transformed culture, that's transformed lives, that God has done something unique. He sent his son as payment for sin. He sent his son to remove the pain of death and hell and the grave. And he said, I'm giving you the message not only of eternal life, but I'm giving you the message of a better life. Always a group of people, multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational movement of people. Hopefully you're going to remember that. It will haunt you at night. Multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational group of people that are moving in all that God has for them. That's the church. Because it's for people in our city. It's for nations. It's for every person. It's for people right now who embrace a different religion. It's for people right now that are struggling with their sexuality. It's for people right now that are lying to their spouse. It's for people like, and some of you are, are you talking about me, Pastor? I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. Jesus is still the answer for our lives. He's still the answer for our city. Because he's a God who is not far off from you. He's not far off. And because of that, hospitals have been built all over the world in the name of Jesus. Millions of people have been fed in the name of Jesus. Children have gotten education in the name of Jesus. Orphans have been cared for in the name of Jesus. Widows have been sheltered in the name of Jesus. Slavery was done away with, and it was not by an act of government first. It started in the heart of men and women of God who said, this is not right. And the leaders of that eradicated uh, slavery in the Western world, that terrible scourge that it was, began in the church and recognized there's been some terrible, terrible teaching and theology this is not right and began to move forward into a new and a better day missionaries risked their lives to preach the gospel and i'm talking about the real gospel not the gospel of you got to dress a certain way and do this and and all that kind of stuff and put away your drum and all that like i'm not talking about that i'm talking about the culture of the kingdom that said that simple gospel that jesus is the answer that he died buried and rose again he's 
changing lives. He's changing families. He's going to adjust us and do whatever he wants to do. And some of us, even in as we look at the global leaders fighting sex trafficking today, are people who have come out of the church and said, this is not right. It's a scourge in our day. And we need to see it eradicated. 20 to 25 million people in slavery in, uh, today in our world. And the people that are saying, we've got to change this, it's coming out of the church. Because why not the church? It's multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational movement of people centered around the teaching of Jesus. In this simple fact that he rose from the grave and he still changes life. And in our Horizon family over this past uh, couple of years, we've had the opportunity to, to give over 1,100 presents to our uh, adoptive school. People that are new Canadians, people that are uh, the working poor, people that are refugees. They just say, we love you, Jesus loves you, and God sees you. We've given hundreds of hampers out. We've done all kinds of things in Africa, in Kenya, and Uganda, and Ghana, and all kinds of places right now. We're uh, over the last year. We're, we've seen you invite people to church. I know that many of you are considering that. We'll talk about it at the end. Who you're going to invite next week to Easter Sunday? Last year we saw almost 100 visitors. 36 people gave their life to Jesus last because Jesus is still moving. He's still the answer. Somebody might sneer. Somebody might soften a little bit, but somebody might surrender. Come on, and. We're supporting rural pastors in the third world. We had just in February of this year had the privilege to do Night to Shine where we advocated for the disabled and celebrated people who are walking with disability that God sees you and knows you because that's what the church does. But I wonder, have we settled in and say, I'm okay with this? Are we just waiting for what our next thing is and, and Paul gives us a better way? Are we distressed at what's going on in our city? You know, I was watching yesterday when all over America, I think 100 cities and some in Canada, students were standing up and say, they're marching for our lives. And you can, don't come and talk to me about whether you think guns are this and guns aren't. And I'm not talking about that. I'm simply talking about this. That there's something where people are saying, we need a change in our nation. We need things to change in our nation. I've talked already about many, many things. But we live in this moment. It's easier to stop and wait Maybe for Jesus to come and rescue us. He said, occupy until I come. In other words, keep busy moving and doing and praying and serving until I come. Escapist theology that says, I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back. Well, you can wait, but get working while you're waiting. Do we see an opportunity or are we just discouraged at obstacles? Because we have not yet begun to run what God's called us to run as a church, as a rising church. It's wonderful. Look around, three, 400 people every week. We're grateful to God for that. But there's 500,000 in our city. 500,000. I'm going to tell you just some things. We, we haven't had a second service yet. I would love to have a second service because it means more people being reached for Jesus. What about, what, why, not, why not ministry teams that go out from this church and help other churches? Why not? Why not a leader, leadership internship school that disciples people and trains them before they go into every area of culture and touch and change the world? Why not a church planting school? Why not our own worship albums coming out of here with original songs? 
Why not missionaries being sent out and supported in Canada and around the globe, within our nation and around the globe? Yeah, I got a, maybe enough time. I'll tell it anyway. I was with a guy this week. We're sitting across from each other. He'd just done a bunch of ministry work up in the northern part of Canada, and he landed in a place that a community of about 400 people had really no con contacts there. And he's praying, God, that you give us a person of peace. They're no place to meet. They somehow got an invitation to talk in the local high school up in the north. We're up in the northern part. I'm talking like Nunavut, where the suicide rate is 10 times what it is. Alcoholism, drug addiction, all kinds of stuff. And incredible pain. So he's there. He lands in there. Somehow we, they asked him to come and talk on hope, but don't talk about Jesus. And so he did, and he went and he talked about hope, and they heard, you're going to, and somebody came to him and said, would you like to meet, there's a, a church that we just use as a community place, uh, I have the key for it, would you like to have a meeting there tonight? He said, sure, and him and his friend, and they go, and they have a meeting there, about 40 people, 10% of the town come, from six years old to grandma's. And he, he, nobody knows the songs. They sing some songs. He shares the stories, shares a, a, the gospel message. And then he says, I'm going to share a testimony of, of healing, shares that testimony of healing. And, uh, and, he, and, and, the, and the guy says, a guy in the crowd who, he said, is there anybody here in pain? And this guy says, yes, I am in pain, and I have this issue. And uh, so through a series of events, he prays for him. He, he couldn't lift his arm. Uh, he, and everybody knew who he was because he was their star volleyball player of the community. Uh, and so when you're in a small town, you something. <laughs> and uh, so he could not, and he prayed for him, and instantly, when he could not lift his hand, suddenly he's able to lift his hand. And he sat down, and he starts to lift his hand, and he did this. My friend told me he just did this for about an hour. It just was like, wow. Like, my, like he, for three weeks, he couldn't lift his hand, and all of a sudden, Jesus touched him and healed him. It was a powerful moment. And then this group of people who had been looking at him like this, and then, and then suddenly they saw that, and he says, anybody want prayer? <laughs> Everybody. Oh, I'm praying for all kinds of people. They go to leave town the next day. They get to the airport, and the person says, were you those guys that were at, had some meetings last night? And, you know, you always wonder what that's going to be. They said, yeah, that was us. And he says, well, I want you to know that last night my six-year-old came home and she said, I met Jesus. And for the first time, and we don't know how long, she slept through the night and had no nightmares. And, and just an incredible moment. Are we still distressed? Do we get distressed at what's going on in our city? Because there's all kinds of stories that are behind closed doors that, of people who have tried all kinds of things and tried medication and tried antidepressants. And if you need them, you take them. But they're trying all kinds of issues and ways to try and cope. When Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullness. And so I'm going to ask you, we did this a few weeks ago when we actually at the very beginning of this series and we stood and we prayed this prayer out of Acts 4 29 and said God help us to be bold show us your power show your power among us in such a way that we would be bold you know I have also on my list that I believe that we're probably three and a half years ago when we first became the lead pastors of this church I had this thought and I've I wouldn't it be great if in every city in B.C., over 100,000 people, and there's a reason for that, is because the city influences the country. Culture flows out of city. We'll 
I love this small town. But if every city of 100,000, for us to plant or be a part of planting a church or a campus in city, in BC, that would mean in Surrey there's 500,000 people. How many campuses would that be? Five. So how many more we got to go? Four. Richmond, 223,000 people in 20, but a little bit more than that now. How many churches or campuses there? Okay, so you get the rhythm. Kelowna, Kamloops, Prince George, Abbotsford, Coquitlam, Burnaby, Burnaby, Vancouver, 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 Vancouver. Six. 21 in BC. Churches, campus, either that we plant or that we help somebody else plant. It's a dream in my heart. And then there's another one that's crazy. It's why not, could we not plant a life-giving church in every capital city of our nation? And I'm including Nunavut, Northwest Territories, Yukon Territory, Quebec. Like, what God wants to do in our nation is beyond what you can think or imagine. But it's not going to be by people who sit and wait. While Paul was waiting, he was distressed at the number of idols that were in the city. He wasn't distressed that there was a bunch of rocks and sticks hanging around. He was distressed at what they represented. People who have no idea that there's a God who is not far from them, who knows their name, who loves them, has called them. But it doesn't happen when we sit and wait. And I'm going to ask you to be very bold. Because that was the way the New Testament church was. And I need you to do some things maybe that you haven't done for a long time. And maybe you have never done. I love Star Trek to boldly go where no one's gone before. And I know there's some Trekkies out there. <laughs> for those of you that have been on the periphery, on the edge, and you're wondering, do I fit? You fit. And some of you have been on the periphery that you know where your parking, which parking spot to take, where to sit in here so that you can escape quickly, grab your kids and be out and beat Relate Church to the lunch spot. And I, I, I just, I got to ask you boldly, there's more. Can, can, you, can you boldly grab a hold of the opportunity that God puts in front of you and I'm going to tell you very clear all of us what that is because we can't afford to stay waiting we can't afford to stay waiting for the sake of three or four people who will die today because of a drug addiction we can't afford to stay waiting while families still behind closed doors struggle through and wonder if their marriage will make it we can't afford to stay waiting while people who don't know Jesus Face an eternity without him. Be bold. And so here's some ways to be bold. Because the world needs you. Because we believe, we believe everybody spends eternity somewhere. We believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. The family, your life. And it's a movement and we need all of us to move together. We're not all going to do everything, but we can do our thing. Because it's not a... It's a we thing, not a me thing. It's not me. Here's your part. And think about this in terms of Easter and beyond. You have an opportunity, and very, very practically, be bold with your inviting. 
Be bold with your inviting. There are people that are in your life that need you to be bold at inviting. You don't know. They might look like they have it all together. And they would be respond to your invitation. This will ensure that you continue to see our church through the lens of people who are disconnected from Jesus and disconnected from life. It will ensure that you continue to see the church through the lens of people who are far from God, feel like they're far from God. Because you can't fully appreciate what God's doing in our church or why we do things until you have a spiritual conversation with your plus one. You won't fully get it until somebody in your family, somebody in your sphere of influence is getting baptized and they say, the reason I'm getting baptized is because of, and they say your name. Be bold in your inviting. Be bold with your serving. Do something uncomfortable. If you're here and you call this your church home, be bold with your serving. If you've been on the sidelines, I need you to get off the sidelines. And you, often, you know what, sometimes we get on the sidelines because we're hurting or because we're discouraged. I've found, and I've been in there in those moments, that the way to get through is to engage my heart and serve because I serve with people. Jesus grace, graces me in my life. I don't stay isolated. I actually begin to experience help and healing as I serve. It's God's way. We have Grow Track, and you hear about it all the time. Every week, you can plug into Grow Track and find your purpose because God created you with incredible purpose and power. You are needed to change our city. You, you, you are needed to change your family. You could be a light in a dark place, and that dark place might first be your family. Be bold with your serving. High school students, we need you on Horizon Team. You're, you're not going to be part of the church one day. You are the church today, and we need you on the team. We need you, high school students, millennials, we need you to teach us how to reach another generation. We need you to show us how to lead in and lean in. There's all kinds of places that you can serve, kids ministry, youth ministry, greeting people, small group leadership, all kinds of ways. Be bold with your giving. Mm, I knew I was coming there. We're a church that just believes that Jesus is so generous with us, our natural response is to be generous with our time, our talents, and treasure. If you're, if you're a person who says, that I'm part of this church, but I don't tithe, I want to challenge you to be a person who tithes. Give 10%. Join me and our leadership team. There's dozens and dozens of who say, We're, we do that. And maybe you're a percentage giver, and you say, I give well. I give 3% every time. Up it. Bring it up. Maybe you're not a regular giver and you you love the worship and you your kids are being touched and every so often you throw a 10 in there. Come on. Come on. I want you to be bold in your giving because it's not about keeping the lights on. It's not about having a service where we can all sing kumbaya around the fire. It's about reaching the city. It's about reaching the nation. It's about healing families. It's about restoring lives. It's about pulling people out of the ditch of life. And together, we can do amazing things together. Be bold with your praying. In addition to stuff that's already always going to happen anyway, Lord, keep me safe, help me to get a better job, all that. It's great. Pray for your family. Pray for those around you. But what if you were a little bit bolder in your prayer and began to pray for things that would not happen without God's intervention? That plus one person in your life that you say, there is no way that they are going to darken the door of a church. 
Say, I'm going to pray for them until they, until they come to know Jesus. What about if you prayed for your family member that you can't see breaking in addiction? What if we would pray until God would break the scourge of the addiction crisis in our city? What if we would pray that God would help us plant 21 churches in B.C.? What if we would pray that every inner city school in Surrey would be adopted by a church? What if we pray that God would bless you and your business so much that you would have literally tens of thousands to give to help reach people? What if we prayed for the ending of abortion and the increasing of adoption? What if we would pray for the end of sex trafficking in our city that happens in our city? It's not some other city's problems. Our police tell us Guilford is one of the great places of grabbing people. Pray that God would move people to give millions of dollars to kingdom enterprises. There's people who are retiring right now and there's boomers and all kinds of stuff. The greatest wealth transfer is about to happen in the next 15 to 20 years. What if part of that great wealth transfer went to the church and to the kingdom of God? Not just, yes, give to your kids. You're supposed to give to your kids. But what if all, also part of it was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save some and I'm going to give some of my inheritance to, the, to help the next generation reach. Now, I heard a great story, and I'm, I know I'm over time, and I'm okay. Your roast will not burn. We'll pray right now. I heard this great story this week of talking with a guy who's planting a church. He came from a church in Calgary. He's planted a church, and they had a church, another church that was a dying church, aged dying church that had no sense. They were just marking time. And they said, we are going to give you our assets. We're going to give you our building because we see that God's moving. We just don't have the energy anymore. Do you mind if we join in with you and we'll give you the assets? And a little dying church gave their assets over and, has, and now, from that church plant, over the last three years, 1,500 people have come to know Jesus. That's vision. That's being bold. It's, it's not a, a we thing. It's a we thing. Pray that there would be a... And you can stand to your feet. And I just want to... We're going to pray. And we're going to close out. Pray that this would be... That in this generation, there would be raised up those who would know how to do family well. Raise up the next generation of political leaders that will lead not for themselves, but will lead for those that they serve. Pray that God would activate filmmakers and media influencers and songwriters and, and book writers and, and artists and creatives that will speak to our generation because this generation hears with their eyes. We began this series with the birth of the church in Acts 2, and it ends this way. Paul who had been the greatest opponent of the church, had become the greatest proponent of the church. He was in Acts 28, and he says he's under house arrest now, and he ends this with some incredible statements. He said, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. He knew that in AD 65, that the gospel was powerful and would transform the globe, and it's still moving today. And he says this, and he says, it says this, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all, let's say that word together, with all boldness and without hindrance. And I hope today that you felt the heartbeat of Jesus for the world. It's not about making my name great. It's not about making Horizon Church's name great. It's about making the name of Jesus great, that there would be something within us that we would be distressed about the, the, the state of our nation, distressed about the families that are around us, and say, oh, God, would you help us to be boldly following you? 
because we have such an opportunity. This is the day of opportunity. You could have looked at Paul and said, buddy, move on. It's full of idols. There's all kinds of things. It's unreachable. It's uh, It's unmovable. You can't do anything. The church, go to an easier place. And Paul says, I was distressed by it. And he began to reason and say, there is hope for the world. There is hope for your son. There is hope for your marriage. There is hope for our city. There is hope for our nation. The gospel is powerful. The gospel is life-changing. The gospel is life-altering. It's a big church. I'm just going to pray this, and I'm going to ask you to respond. Bow your heads and close your eyes just to give privacy to the people around you. Nothing spooky at all about it. But as you've heard about what Jesus can do and you've been brought here by somebody this morning, maybe just to get privacy, close your eyes, bow. But you're ready to respond. You, you're not sneering today. Some of you I know are considering softening to the gospel. But some of you this morning are ready to surrender to Jesus. Today's your day. And I'm just going to look on my left and your right. And if that's you today, just throw your hand up and say, Pastor, I, that's me. I'm, I'm ready to surrender to Jesus. I'm going to pray with you. I'm not going to do anything more than that at this moment. My left, your right. Right down center field, right down the middle. Anybody, raise your hand real quick. We want to pray with you. My right, your left. All right. All right, then I'm going to assume that all of us are followers of Jesus. We're ready to take a step. But now I'm going to ask you to respond. Head bowed, eyes closed. Boldness. Pastor, I need to take another step in my boldness, in my inviting. Just throw your hand up and say, that's me. Yeah, awesome. All around the room, dozens of hands. Pastor, I need to take another step of boldness in my serving. That's you, just throw up your head. Yeah, 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 yeah. I need to be a little bit bolder in my giving. That's you, just throw up your hand. Yeah, yeah, all over the room, wonderful. I need to be a lot bolder, more bolder in my praying. Yeah, all over the room. Awesome, 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 awesome. So, Father, we thank you that the power of Jesus is here, Lord. And you saw the hands. It's between your sons and your daughters and you. And so, Lord, I pray that right now, in the name of Jesus, that you would empower us with boldness to do what you've called us to do. Lord, I thank you that next week, this house is going to be full of people who are on a journey who, and who need Jesus. On your seat, there's little invite cards. There's some bigger ones, some smaller ones. You can use them to invite somebody. Pray over your card as you give it. Give it to somebody this week. Don't wait till Saturday at 11 o'clock at night. They probably are going to say no. But you know the reality is, is you just ask people, hey, would you like to come to church with me at Easter? I asked somebody this week, and they said yes. It's going to be great. They've been out of church for like 11 years. I'm like pumped. At least I am. So grab your card. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for people that'll be, that, are, that feel like they're far from you. Thank you that you're near to them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're going to 